And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to episode 59 of the Keith Law Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am your host. Keith Law. I'll be joined today by University of Louisville catcher Henry Davis, one of the best prospects in this year's draft class. He'll talk to me a little bit about his transformation as a player and how he has become the player that he is likely to go in, I say, the top four picks of this year's draft. I will also take a number of your questions on prospect and the draft and tell you a little bit about my cat who has been known to make an appearance on a podcast here or there over the last few years. Just a few administrative things to get through, I did have a draft scouting notebook last week, as well as a sort of post-mortem on what's gone on with the Rockies in the wake of Jeff Breidich stepping down as GM. Both of those pieces are available for subscribers to The Athletic. I will also, weather permitting, we're looking good, I will be at the Wilmington Blue Rocks home opener at Frawley Stadium right here in Wilmington on Tuesday night, Wilmington versus Aberdeen. I believe I'll get either Cade Cavalli or Jackson Rutledge, the Washington Nationals' two pitching prospects. One of those guys should be starting Maybe getting Grayson Rodriguez for Aberdeen. Be very excited. I will absolutely write that up as soon as I get home. Nice thing about having a minor league baseball park practically in your backyard is you can leave the ballpark, be home in 15 minutes, and start writing almost immediately. Also, would just like to remind everyone, my second book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves is now out in paperback. It's been out for a month or so. You can get it pretty much at any independent bookstore. I know Midtown Scholar in Harrisburg still has a couple of signed copies still available, or you can call the local independent bookstore in your town or even go to bookshop.org. And for those of you who have purchased already, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by Louisville catcher, University of Louisville catcher, Henry Davis. Henry is one of the top prospects in this year's draft class. I just had the fortune, good fortune to see him a couple of weeks ago at the University of Virginia, where he reached base eight times in 10 plate appearances. And I said, I have to have this man on my podcast. Henry, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So... Talk to me a little bit about, you know, obviously fans are kind of getting to know you now that you've emerged as a draft prospect. People are starting to talk about you and say, do I want my team to have Henry Davis on it? To which I say, yes, you probably do. Tell me a little bit about your history. We'll start with you as a catcher. How, when did you first start catching too? Because a lot of guys convert to that somewhat later. And, and, you know, what made you, attracted you to the position in the first place? Well, in the uh, third and fourth grade ball, whenever pitchers started throwing instead of the coaches, Mm -hmm. My dad was the head of the little league team and uh, everybody else was kind of afraid to get back there. So he's stuck me in the gear and been with it ever since. And you, I think most people would agree. I, my own evaluation of you is your best attribute as a catcher is you've got a great arm. You've got a really strong throwing arm. Uh, did you pitch much as an amateur? Obviously your future is going to be behind the plate, but with an arm that good, I imagine at some point somebody said, hey, maybe we should get him on the mound. Yeah, I couldn't really throw strikes. I ah. tried. I could throw hard, but 
is not a pitcher. When you were going through the process, you grew up in uh, what I would like to refer to as upstate New York, which means you were somewhere north of the Bronx. That's basically the line because I'm from Long Island. When you were going through the recruiting process, what schools were you looking at? Louisville's got a great program, so I could understand what attracted you to them. But what were some of the other schools that you were considering, or were you kind of Louisville all the way? I, li- I liked Vanderbilt and Virginia. Whenever I started getting getting interested in college baseball, those mm-hmm. were the two who I think they went like back-to-back years where they were in the national championship. Yes. And that was an aspiration of mine where I want to be a national champion. I still plan on being a national champion, but – I mean, Coach Mack being from a couple minutes over for me really uh, struck me. And then, I mean, I learned more about the program. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to be a Cardinal. Your approach at the plate really stood out to me. And you've, you rarely strike out. You really swing and miss, actually, which is so unusual in today's game. And I think is going to be for teams, both for scouts and for analytics departments. It's going to be one of the things that really stands out for you. I know it's kind of an open, a bit of a broad question, but how did you come to be this type of hitter? Did you grow up as somebody who was just trying to make contact? Because you have, you hit for power too. You kind of do a little of everything, but to see a guy who rarely swings and misses like you do is really, I think very unusual now. Now I, I swing really hard. Yeah, I, you do. I try, <laughs> I try and do damage, but as someone who's really, really competitive, I always took it personally if somebody struck me out. So for me, like getting in that two strike approach, I've always choked up. And I think a little bit of where I get in trouble is like with runners in scoring position. I really, really don't want to get called out looking. Mm. And I might expand the zone a little bit too much, which I'm working on. But other than that, it's I take it really personal. I don't want to strike out. I want to put the ball in play. And I mean, I'm looking to do damage too. So the all around approach is, I mean, grown as I've been a college player. I think my freshman year. I still took it personal when somebody would strike me out. So I didn't strike out much, but I also didn't walk a lot and, and kind of learning who I was as a player and understanding that if I don't swing and miss, I better be swinging at good pitches. And then when I started to do that, I started to hit the ball with more authority, hit for more power um, my sophomore year. And then I realized when guys started to work the corners, I wasn't going to chase early in the count. And I either got myself in favorable counts where I could do damage or, I mean, I was getting walked. So either way, learning and understanding who I was as a player has helped the approach come together. Have you noticed, especially this year, maybe as you gotten into ACC play, have guys started pitching you a little bit differently now that they know what your approach is like and obviously they know the damage that you can do if they do make a mistake? Yeah, well, college coaches generally, um, you'll have a scouting report come in. I mean, we have scouting reports on other hitters. And you try and learn quickly. So um, at Georgia Tech, I remember, I think it was like a 2-0 pitch. I got my like second or third AB on Friday night, and I popped it straight up on a 2-0 count, change up, <laughs> stunk. But the next time <laughs> I came up looking for a change up, hit a home run. So mm-hmm. things like that where, you know, in tendencies, like runners in scoring position, things like that, how are they trying to get me out and – what are his strengths? What are my strengths? And putting that all together, I think I think a benefit of mine and a strength of mine is being a smart hitter. I don't know if you how much you remember. It sounds like you probably will, given that answer. But UVA had a pretty low slot right-hander face you in the first game of that series, too. And uh, you took probably the one 
swing, I would say, was kind of uncomfortable, but you ended up getting a hit off of him. You remember, you know, the one I'm talking about where you just kind of reach the bat. It was so impressive. I have video of it because I was up the line at that point. It was just like, I can't believe he just, you just sort of stuck the bat out and just poked one to left field. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Like that, the in, it was the in at bat adjustment that I'm asking about. That was what I thought was so impressive there. So I was very excited to face him mm. because when we get our scouting reports, he's a good closer and it always excites me to be facing good pitchers. I want to face the best guys. And earlier in the season at Cincinnati, I faced a submariner who was in the low 90s, and that was uncomfortable at bat. <laughs> I ended up working like a, I think it was like an eight or nine pitch walk. Oh, wow. But we had a two hour bus ride home. I was very frustrated myself for never practicing it. I'm somebody who takes preparation very seriously, and I feel like I can build confidence off what I do off field and how hard I work. And my whole life, I've never practiced a submariner, and there's no excuse for it. So before that series, when I found out they had a submariner, uh, Cooper Bowman, who's our second baseman, and I mm-hmm. took the machine off the legs, put it on the ground, and worked sliders and fastballs with run off it. So when he got in there, kind of the mindset was be on time for the fastball in and adjust everything else. So with two strikes, I was on time for the fastball, and he threw me a slider away. <laughs> barrel to it so then the next night you faced griff mcgarry who i think has probably the best raw stuff i've seen uva because i can drive to uva from here so i've seen them a bunch this year and his command and control aren't there yet but he was 97 that 93 a pretty good slider would you rather face that or would you rather face the tough look guy and the, the correct answer might be you'd rather face none of them <laughs> I, I don't really mind, honestly. I was a little frustrated with myself for missing the couple fastballs from Gary early on, but I mean, both guys had good stuff, and I mean, they threw well, so kudos to them. Have you had a chance? I, I, every college coach does it different, and I don't know what you've, what other experience you've had. Uh, you know, maybe playing two summers ago, but have you had much chance to work on game calling? Because that's one of the harder things I find to evaluate. Um, from the stands too, is we don't necessarily know how much the catcher is involved in crafting the game plan. Yeah. Uh, in the, in the scrimmages and during summer ball, I mean, I have a pretty extensive experience calling it, but I mean, how I've learned that is through coach Williams. I mean, he's been doing it a long time at the highest level. And as I've gotten older, there's more communication and sometimes he'll take my suggestion where I can give him a cue. If I see something from a hitter or in between innings, um, there was a hitter at Virginia who I felt like was diving over the plate and we could beat in, but we kept going away and away and away. So I come into the dugout and I say, Hey, like he's diving over the plate. Uh, if you want to work soft away and then come hard in late, like he's going to have no chance. And those are things we can work together, but it's mainly me learning from him. And I mean, he does such a good job that going into pro ball, I feel like I couldn't be more prepared to move into that. That's great. Do you talk much about pitch framing? Because I'm sure you've read this is such a huge thing in pro ball now. Maybe maybe we get the automated strike zone soon. It doesn't matter anymore. But right now, people on the scouting side, especially on the analytics side, even try to estimate who's a good pitch framer in college, which I admit I still don't really understand how they calculate that. But they're trying to do it at least. Yeah. Um, I definitely pay attention to it. I love watching guys like JT and Yachty. I mean, I grew up on yachting. He was so Mm -hmm. good at being quiet. And then it moved to the Tyler Flowers JT where they'd manipulate it into the zone. And my freshman year, and even in the beginning last year, I tried to do it and I wasn't very good at it. And Coach Snyder, I mean, 
kind of just this year we were like, let's use our athleticism. Let's stay in the two foot stance. I mean, catch the ball, keep it where it is. So I don't do too much of trying to manipulate it in the zone, but I feel like I'm in a position where if that's something somebody wants me to do, I'll be able to learn it pretty quickly. So as I said earlier, I know you're a New York native. Do you have strong opinions on pizza? Do you have a local pizza place from where you grew up that you just believe is the absolute best you, you could ever find? Well, I have a go-to. I'm, I'm loyal to Gerardo's in Mount Kisco. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I grew up. It's about 10 minutes from my house. So pizza for me, mm-hmm. I mean, I've gotten better with it because a lot of our meals here are Papa John's and other places where I mean, it's not the same, even close, but I try not to be too picky about it. But I mean, the couple times I've been home, first stop is a pizza or a deli and get food there. Do you fold? Are you a pizza folder? Excellent. Good, good man. Good man. Have you been to the garage in the garage bar in Louisville? No. That's my favorite pizza place. It's one of my favorites in the country. It's more like the the very Italian Neapolitan style pizza, but it is, I have been there three times. I brought my daughter when she came on a scouting trip with me a couple of years ago. And she still asks, when can we go back to Louisville? I'm like, you've already been to Louisville. Can I take you someplace new? She's like, but I want that pizza. It's, yes. I highly recommend it. And are you also a, a bagel guy? This is such an extreme niche New York conversation, but I have to ask. Yeah. I forget what it's called because it was like my senior year. Mm-hmm. Everybody started going there, but I think it might be Bedford Bagel Okay, where everybody would go there and I would get bagels early in the morning, maybe get a bacon, egg, and cheese on it. Nice. Something like that. Yeah. I drive through that part of the country a lot. Like if I go up to see South Freelick is, you know, BC's playing at UMass in a couple of weeks. If I drive through Westchester, I'm, I'm like actually going to take notes now and check out these places too. So I have a very, there's a strong self-interest in this yeah. portion of the conversation. So excellent. The last question I had for you is, so as you get closer to the draft, like have you had, I don't want to talk about specific teams, but you finding you getting more attention from scouts, more folks wanting to meet with you. And how do you, you I mean, you're a student, you're an athlete, and now this happens too. That's just a lot of time management for you. So how has that been? I haven't thought about it much. We had uh, scout meetings in the fall and then we've been pretty much left alone since then. I think that's something our coaches do. So, I mean, we focus on what's real for me on the school side. Uh, I mean, I finished two days ago with my last paper. So I have, oh, one great. College, I have one more college class in May and then I'm graduated. So I'll be done by then. But I mean, it kind of hit me last night when I was talking with my mom, like there's when we set out for the year, our aspiration and plan is to win the national championship and say we follow through with that, obviously, which is the plan. It's eight weeks left. And that kind of hit me where it's like, <laughs> My freshman year, I didn't really realize it until we lost in the regional, the 1010 game. And I was like, wow, I did not take this in as much as I should have. So for me, talking to guys today, I was like, we got to just like take it in, enjoy each other, like enjoy the moment, enjoy these games. Cause I mean, it's going to be over before we know it and we're not going to want to have any regrets. So for me, I mean, I'm fine with it going as slow as it can. <laughs> That's very wise of you. I did not have the same attitude on life when I was your age, so I'm I'm very glad to hear it. Uh, My guest today has been Henry Davis, the catcher for Louisville, and a very high first-round pick, I believe, in this upcoming July. Henry, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me.
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, that was a great chat with Henry Davis, who I think should be in consideration for the first overall pick in the draft this year. And with that in mind, I sent out a call for some draft questions. We'll try to do this every couple of weeks as we lead up to the draft or other prospect questions. And you answered on Twitter. There are too many of these for me to get to, but I'll get through as many as I can right here. Let me start with Justin at Justin MLB. Does there seem to be a clear consensus for the first five picks of this year's draft? I've seen some mocks generally say lighter will go first, but also wouldn't be surprised if those picks were to be shaken up a bit. Thoughts? I haven't done a mock yet because I still think it's a little bit too early, but I will say I'm now actually starting to hear some preferences for teams in the top, I would say seven or so. Uh, and I don't think it's a clear consensus on who, on the order of the top five, but I believe the first five picks will be in some order, Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, Jordan Lawler, Henry Davis, and probably Marcelo Mayer. You could see Sal Freelick slip in there. You could see Brady House slip in there in a possible deal. Mayer would be the one player of those I think would get uh, be most likely to not end up in the top five once we get there. Speaking of Mayer, Brian McBride asks, uh, Mayer is a local kid who goes to the nearby school, Eastlake. I keep seeing him in top 10, if not top five. What's your take on him? Second best high school position player in the draft uh, behind Jordan Lawler. I know at least one scout who actually has Mayer ahead. I think it's close. I think the consensus is Lawler is ahead. I think Mayer's advantage is he's younger than Lawler, but I think Lawler has better tools. And I do think Lawler will go first, but Mayer will of the high school players at least, but I don't think Mayer gets out of the top. Let's say seven. John asks, I wanted to follow up on the prospect omission heard around the world, at least among Atlanta fans. Can you fill us in on Drew Waters? What future value do you think he has now and why? Thanks. Well, nothing's changed, right? There he is what he is. He's a very, very fairly undisciplined hitter. Uh, who has been, who's proven himself, I think, far too easy to pitch to. Uh, he's a great athlete. He is, but his non existent approach at the plate uh, has been, you, to me, pretty much universally mentioned by every scout I've talked to who's ever seen him in pro ball. And that is consistent with what I've seen from him as well. So, yeah, that could change. Players do change, but his approach, this is not a kid with a below average approach. This is a kid who's generally described as having no approach whatsoever. And that means that he has above average everyday upside if you're just going off the tools, but very little chance of getting there. Jeff Bosch asks, getting any sense of what teams are looking to cut deals, spread money around, and what players may slide up to be involved in such deals? I mentioned Brady House. He is the name I've heard the most, uh, potentially as high as three with Detroit. People have seen a lot of Detroit folks in there. So that's three, four, no, that's Boston. But then five, six, seven uh, is where you start. That's Baltimore, Arizona, 
in Kansas City. I've had it mentioned to me, Kansas City might be House's floor. That's interesting. I don't take that to the bank just yet, not two months away from the draft. But House is one. Jackson Job, the high school, the best high school pitcher in this draft from Oklahoma City, also have heard similarly, he could go in the top 10 and take a little bit of a discount relative to top 10 money. I'll believe that when I see it. When teams get to draft day, they get pretty conservative. And we haven't seen a high school pitcher go in the top 14 picks in either of the last two drafts. Uh, the truth asks any new ins- any new thoughts or insights on Bo Naylor? Is he still a good defensive, good enough defensive catcher to stick there? Nothing new since the winter, since we haven't really seen him. But yes, all accounts are he is more than a good enough catcher to stay there. I think the one thing that might uh, that could affect him is if he becomes the hitter that most people believe he will. Would there eventually be some pressure to not have him catch full time just because he won't hit as much and could be a little bit more injury prone because of the position? Uh, there's a good question here. Which prospect MILB assignments do you think have been most aggressive or conservative? I haven't seen all of them yet. I know they're all coming out today, but as I'm recording this, I haven't seen enough of them. So I don't want to, uh, sort of half answer that question. So put a pin in that. We can get back to that at some point. Uh, let's see BLM lifelong Ravens and AZ Cardinals fan. Any rumors about top high school guys with extremely high asking prices that could push them to campus? Yeah, some. But it's early. I would definitely say it's early. For example, there was some talk about, um, I believe it's Michael Morales in Enola, Pennsylvania. He's committed to Vanderbilt. He would be a tough sign. But I don't think that's necessarily going to push him to campus. I also think he's good enough to, to potentially get what I don't know what dollar figure he's looking for. But if he wants first round money, I think he's going to get first round money. Renee asks Jaron Duran going to develop pop and take over for center field for the Sox this season. I will say develop pop. I think it's already there. Take over center field this season. No. Mm, might see him this season. Might see him in a full-time role next season. This is Justin Trujillo. What is a reasonable amount of time to give a new Rockies GM to clean up their farm system? Well, as he said in my column last week, I think they've drafted fine. I know there are people there trying to do new things in player development, but they haven't really been given the autonomy necessarily to do it. Um, I would say you're going to want to give the new GM three years to start to see real change in the player development mm-hmm. side. And it could take longer than that to reestablish them for them to reestablish themselves on the international side. We'll see what happens with the international class they've signed this year. Supposedly, they've got to deal with a Cuban player to sign uh, when the next period opens in July. But of course, those deals can and do sometimes fall apart. So I don't want to bank on that yet. But it's a couple of years, unfortunately. That is probably that's a pretty bad situation to inherit. Not as bad as what Michael Elias inherited in Baltimore, but it's pretty close. But at least the Rockies do have some drafted talent in their farm system now for the new GM. Scott Upham asks, biggest 2021 draft movers both up and down in the last month and why the movement? Um, Let's see, there's McGreevy. I keep getting his first name wrong. I believe it's Mike McGreevy at UC Santa Barbara. He might be the biggest mover I've heard about since my last ranking. I did mention him in the scouting notebook last week. He's an extreme command guy. Stuff is more than good enough to play. He may not have huge upside. He might be more of a steady mid-rotation starter. But I have a feeling he and Dylan Smith of Alabama are going to end up in the back of the first round because teams love to take college pitchers in the first round. They're safer than high school pitchers, even if you're giving up some upside. Uh, I would certainly say him. Uh, someone else asked about Matthew Nelson, the catcher at Florida State, who had 18 homers going into the weekend, uh, which was leading Division One. He's going to get into day one. 
one guy told me he thought he could get into the first round. I think that might be a stretch, but certainly if you're a model drafting team and you haven't scouted a lot this spring, he's going to be pretty appealing. And he's I, speaking to scouts recently, who described to me as a little better catcher right you now than Cal Raleigh was also coming out of Florida state, also a bigger guy where there were questions about him staying behind the plate and Raleigh went in the third round. And it turns out, I think in hindsight, that was low. I wonder if teams are looking at Nelson saying, let's not whiff again on the same type of player out of the same school. A question from Brett Spillane, who is, you see Carson Crawford of Santa Rosa being selected in the first two rounds. No, I do not. David Power, what are the odds that one of Rocker or Lighter is there for the Sox at four? Five percent. I actually, if I had to mock it right now, I would say Lighter one, Lawler two, Rocker three, Henry Davis four. And then with Baltimore at five, things would open up because we saw last year, they picked second and they didn't take the second best player available. They actually didn't take the best player available. It was still available. Austin Martin. They kind of deal with Heston Kirstad. I absolutely think they'll do the same thing again this year, but that's, that would be my one, two, three, four. If you were asking me to do a mock draft right now, Chris Kelly asks who should Pittsburgh and Texas take if you're GM. Um, I'm going to bang the drum again for Henry Davis, and not just because he was on the podcast, but it's a catcher. He's a real catcher with a plus arm, incredible approach, never strikes out, and hits for power. What, why are we not more excited about this guy? I, I'm not trying to be contrarian here. I, I need a real answer to this. What is the reason? If this guy is Buster Posey with a half grade less power, what's the problem? Um, and why wouldn't we take that guy over the risk of two, two very good college pitchers, but they're pitchers. Pitchers break down. I don't get it. Uh, Tom Lang asked the Matthew Nelson question. Hopefully I answered that for you. Geofist asks, who is a prospect that you love, but no one is talking about? God, that's tough to do off the cuff because I talk about these guys incessantly. And then I feel like I talk about them too much. Um, and then I worry that, oh yeah, well, I'm, am I overdoing it? Am I, am I talking too much about this guy? Should I just shut up until he starts to do something? Um, let me defer that one. That's a great question. I want to get back to that one, give it a little more thought. The hunt for Red Sox October. What do you make of Garrett Whitlock? I think this is what he is. I think he's good. I think he's a good major league reliever. Uh, Chris W asks, it's no secret that college hitters have struggled more than any other demographic. I, I think you're talking about this spring because of the time off. I don't know if that's actually true, but let's go with the assumption. Should evaluators be getting hitters in general, especially college hitters, more leeway than normal due to the layoff of the pandemic? Seems like pitching would come back before timing. Well, even I think on the flip side, pitchers, uh, some pitchers we've seen have had a hard time getting through a full spring because they didn't pitch that much last year at all. We've seen pitchers, good college pitchers, see their velocity dip like Kumar Rocker, see get, get bounced out of the rotation for ineffectiveness like Richard Fitz. Um, Sean Burke at Maryland just got bumped back to Sunday. Some of these guys have changed, have, have had more ups and downs than you might expect from a typical college pitcher. So I don't necessarily agree with the, with the base assumption here. Also, plenty of hitters are performing. So we've got to give some preference to them. Uh, Michael Stark, best case or best fit for Tigers or three, whichever Vandy pitcher available. Thanks. Love the podcast. Uh, um, I don't think they're going to take Henry Davis. No, nothing that the Tigers have done in the draft in the last, I don't know, 15 years says to me they would take Davis. So I would say if you're just going to start off with that, they should take of the top three, right? Lighter, Rocker, Lawler. They should take whichever one's there. Uh, let's see. There's a couple of questions here about Mackenzie Gore for the Padres. 
um, hearing that he's struggling. I have not heard this. I had heard he was looking fine at the alternate site, that he was going to be up fairly soon. He will be up fairly soon. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a complicated delivery that he repeats extremely well. I would not be surprised if he came up this year and struggled a little bit initially, but I still think eventually he's going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, also, he's had some blister issues too, which can definitely affect your ability to throw strikes, but that's not a long-term thing. Uh, let's see. Favorite cost effect. This is Ford, hashtag BLM. Favorite cost effective, formerly known as senior signs for the draft. I mentioned Matt Mikulski at Fordham. I think he's a great senior sign. Um, and because he's not just a senior sign, right? He's a real prospect. This is like Bryce Jarvis from Duke last year. I believe Nelson is also a senior, so he's a fourth-year player, so he would also be a potential discount guy. Um, also, there are going to be some cost-effective guys from junior colleges, and I've only just started to delve into some of those because none of them are really top 50 guys, but rounds three, four, and five, don't be surprised if you see a lot of pretty good junior college prospects sign and sign under slot as money savers. Uh, Thor Klinker, has your opinion on Brady Singer changed? Would you take him over Matthew Liberator now? No, it has not changed. He's still... Singer has the same delivery, still has the same issue where he does not have a pitch to get left-handers out. Would I take him over Liberator now? Uh, probably not. I guess if you said to me I was GM and I needed someone to pitch today, right? Singer's in the big leagues and Liberator is not. That's the one advantage that I think Singer has. Uh, Terry Greer, how hard is it to get drafted from a D2 school in baseball? It's not hard. Brenton Doyle went from a D2 school, Shepherd University in West Virginia. He went in the second, no, fourth round? Fourth round, a couple of years ago. Um, he put up stats and he got noticed, but he also had tools. And the, I don't know the player you're talking about. You didn't give me a name here. You're giving me some, some limited data here, but I, without knowing a name or a school, I can't tell you anything about him, unfortunately. Michael asks, how big of a mistake, if at all, will teams that pass on Jaden Hill make in the first or comp A round specifically? I think if you draft in the 20s, assuming his medicals are fine after the Tommy John surgery, and he's had injury stuff before. But once you get through... Once you get down into the 20s, there are not a lot of options there that are better than a just recovered from surgery Jaden Hill. Um, he might be behind like a Dylan Smith. He might be behind a McGreevy where you take the certainty of a guy who's healthy right now. But I don't know that there are 30 better players than a Jaden Hill if you believe he's going to recover fully. Fred Bird's burner asks, how many drafts do you go through before you publish an article? Um, I actually never do. I'm the worst or in terms of like the craft of writing. I sit down and I write and I often write start to finish. And then that's usually it. And most people don't write that way. And I don't know that I recommend that for anybody else. It's a process that works for me and that's all. Uh, let's see. I missed anything. Wes Clark and Judd Fabian are the strikeouts too much. They're two very different players. Wes Clark's issue is he has no position. Judd Fabian's issue is... He's got two pretty significant holes, and he's really shown no ability to make adjustments to those all season. He strikes out way too often, and he has tools. Someone's going to take him. I think he's a second rounder. I think that's the point where you take a guy like that. He's kind of like Cam Meisner, who went in the comp round. Um, Jaron Kendall went in the first round a couple of years ago, and that has not worked out at all. And I think that's caused the industry to be even a little bit more bearish on types like Judd Fabian. I would put Christian Franklin in a pretty similar camp as well. These guys who are quite toolsy, first-round tools, and in a previous era, they would have gone up there. But these guys swing and miss too much. Uh, so D-Train, uh, sorry, that was from Yark. D-Train asked, where will the M's triumvirate of first-round starting pitching prospects eventually slot into the rotation? Which one has the best chance to be a one? Um, 
Logan Gilbert, Emerson Hancock, George Kirby. I'm not certain that I'd say any of those is a future one. George Kirby has been hitting triple digits this spring. Eric Longenhagen has reported that he lives in Arizona. He's with Fangraphs. He's great. Um, he's seen it. And that does make Kirby a more interesting prospect. He might actually be the best now of the three of those, assuming that he holds that as a starter into the season. Whereas Gilbert, to me, is the guy, if you said you got to put your kid's college fund on one guy being a successful major league starter, maybe Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert might be an above average, like a 55 starter for a really long time. Um, and I can't say that for the other two guys. And finally, uh, longtime reader Amy Chapman asked if my cat, Hexy, uh, who occasionally appears on podcasts um, as you know, and, uh, playing the role of bias cat, was still around. I haven't heard him on this version of your podcast. And then another reader followed up and he asked what the name, the origin of the name. So I thought that'd be a fun story to tell. Yes, Hexy's still around, but I typically record in our converted, my wife and I converted my sort of disused upstairs attic space into a part office, part guest room, which means I can close the door and you don't hear the cat because when Hexy sees that I am on the phone, he has to talk to me. Uh, the origin of the name is uh, my daughter named him after a, a toy that she had when she was still a baby. So Hexy, the cat, has only three legs. And she kind of saw him at the pet store when they were doing an adoption thing. And she just fell in love with him. And she said he reminded her of a toy she had when she was a baby that was supposed to be an octopus. It looked like an octopus. It was like a ring, but it only had six legs. So we nicknamed that before my daughter was talking. We said it was a hexapus, right? That's just obviously how the words should work. And my daughter kept that for years and years. I think it's still here somewhere in a bin. And so when she got the cat, she said, well, he's like a hexapus, right? He just doesn't have the correct number of legs. And I like to think that even though she was whatever, seven or eight years old, that she correctly figured out the ratio of legs was the same. I doubt she was doing that math, but I'm going to pretend that she was. Anyway, so the name is stuck. So he's actually formerly known as Hexapus, but we just call him Hexy. And now, unfortunately, we've had several other cats um, pass away in the last couple of years, including my wife had a, a beloved cat she'd had for a very long time, who was at least 15. He died in January. And so all of a sudden, Hexy is alone in the house, and he thinks it's the greatest thing ever. He is now absolutely the king of the hill. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, wear your mask, and do what I'm doing. I'm getting my second shot on Thursday. So as soon as you can, and you should be able to by now if you're listening, go get that vaccine. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.